Teens Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say queens rule, but they don't. Queens lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. They're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queens Lead Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Queen's Lead podcast. Today, I am joined by Tammy Adams, and she is with Intuitive Understanding. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. And she's coming to us all the way from Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Tammy. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely a pleasure. Tell our guests a little bit about who you are and kind of how you got started with Intuitive Understanding. Well, it's been quite a journey. It hasn't been a straight line like most entrepreneurs. It's kind of all (laughs) over the map. I spent about 30 years in the field of education. So I worked, I've worked in all levels of education, right from preschool, right up to post-secondary. And kind of along the same time as I was in um, education, I was also working in human resources. And I was Ah. doing a lot of career development, recruitment, training and development. And how I found myself here is I was very frustrated with the policy and procedures. So I would be working with someone and I would get them almost to that breakthrough place and then policy and procedure would indicate that, no, that's as far as you can go. And it would happen Mm. on the education side and it would also happen in the corporate world. And um, I was so frustrated, I just decided I'm going to take all of this experience, the education and training that I've got, mm-hmm. and I'm going to branch out on my own, and I'm going to open intuitive understanding. And, um, you know, it's funny, you were, we were talking before we started about that entrepreneurial journey. And I think it's really important to stress that first five years is so important because you want to give up so many times because it's so different from having that regular paycheck, somebody else to market your services, somebody else to hold that responsibility. That's right. So, you know, those first five years, I am so grateful I stuck it out, but it is definitely a roller coaster as you make that adjustment. Oh, a hundred percent. So getting frustrated in the corporate world, we were, like you said, just before we hopped on, we talked about this. So many of our guests listening are stuck in that nine to five and they feel so stuck and constrained by the rules or the policy or procedure or whatever it is um, that's holding them back. Um, Can you give an example of one of those situations where you thought like, or that the light bulb went off and you kind of knew like, you know, I'm sure it had been chipping away for a time, but but when was it that you were able to make that decision like this is it? Well, I think that decision was actually made for me in the ah. fact that I was working in a corporate setting. It was actually not for profit. And um, I was kind of the bridge between the educational component and the training component in this not for profit. And um 
my boss, we all have that trigger. We all have that crisis point where we have to make that decision. And he and I just, we weren't on the same page on many, many things. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter how much uh, proof I could give that, yes, this was a good next step to take. We just always butt heads. And Mm -hmm. after about five years, um, I just decided, you know, I can't go on like this anymore. And it took me a whole year to recover from that experience. I came home and I sat down on my couch and I basically didn't get off of it for a year. And at that point, I really had to make a decision. Am I going to keep repeating the same experience over and over? Or am I going to do my own inner work, get to the other side of this and choose a different path? So. You know, human beings need that crisis point in order to make that change. Um, Do I wish I didn't have to go through it? Absolutely. But I am grateful that I did because everything that um, has happened since has been amazing. Yeah. Did you have an example of someone in your life that had taken that a similar leap Were there business owners or entrepreneurs that you had? that you were able to see and witness growing up or in your adulthood? Not until I made the leap. After I made the leap, I joined um, a wellness networking group. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found kind of my sea legs, so to speak, because it was a really safe place to Mm -hmm. practice. And so, you know, I dipped my toe in this kind of water and I dipped my toe in this water and I took this training and I took this course and I did this workshop which a lot of entrepreneurs feel is a waste of time and they feel that they're scattered because they're doing that. And yet I can say with confidence, that's how you find your sweet spot. You've got to try all these things. And, you know, how I found myself to grief recovery, if, if you had told me this is what I would be doing, I would have told you you were crazy. (laughs) you know, and I found it more by accident than anything. And after I had completed the training, I went back to my networking group. And, you know, every month, we had about five minutes to talk about who we were and what we did. Mm -hmm. And I came back and I just spoke from the heart. And I just talked about this grief recovery method. And I will never forget it. Everyone in the room just erupted, clapping and cheering, and it was universal. I had found my thing. Wow. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. You have to dip your toe into a lot of different things to figure out, to find your lane. And I know for myself, starting the entrepreneurial journey, I mean, I had always been hooked up with some type of corporate I'd worked as a contractor for the government. I was a nurse and worked in corporate hospitals and all these different places. And I didn't even know that groups like networking existed. I went networking, what's networking? Why do I want to meet someone that I don't already know or work with, or who's not my neighbor in my family? What what does that even mean? Networking. And now I realize that they're not lying. When your mama told you, you are the sum of the five people you hang out with. You really are. And when you're only hanging out with other burnout, pissed off, corporate, tired moms with terrible husbands and all of these things that that's like, it's, it, you think that's all there is, right? Until you get along some other people who are like, nah, let me show you the way this may or may not be for you, but you're going to find out really quickly. 
Well, and I think too, <clears throat> you just hit on something really important because the corporate job that I mentioned, I didn't want to leave because I loved my job. I loved the industry. I loved everything about it. And so the harder I held on, right, the more uncomfortable the whole situation became because we're so afraid of what we don't know that we hold on kind of the devil, you know, is better than the one you don't. Right. That's right. I remember my father telling me one time, and I can say this because I know full well, he doesn't listen to this. (laughs) He told me one time I was really struggling in this corporate hospital setting. And I was like, dad, I became a nurse to care for people and advocate for people. And I have zero autonomy. If it's not the doctors, it's the middle management. If it's this, it's that. And he said, baby, there's shit everywhere. You got to remember, you got to learn to know if you want to deal with new shit or deal with the shit you already know. And that was the the limit. I mean, that was like my lid. I was like, well, yeah, okay. I already know this crap. So I guess I'll just stay. And I had no idea like, okay, well you can go learn new crap or you can just leave and do your own thing and get out of that HR chair where, where you've offended someone or you didn't follow that procedure. Oh my gosh. How freeing. Absolutely. And, you know, if you were a nurse in that corporate setting, absolutely, there is no autonomy. So the core values that attracted you to that particular sector, they just, they get lost in all the bureaucracy and all the policy, and you're just not able to do. I think the biggest wake up call for me is I was working on a degree and I was taking a course on the history of education. And Mm. my husband is a mechanic by trade and taught automotive in high school for years. And I went- My son just graduated a program like that and loved it. Oh, really? Yes. Awesome. 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 Yes. But I went in and I said to him, why did you become a teacher? And he gave me that rose colored answer, rose colored glasses answer. We all do. I just want to help build their potential and give them the skills for success and all this kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. I said, no, it says, it says right in my university textbook, education is nothing more than a tool for social reform. And to find out, you know, in my 50s that I had been a part of this my whole Mm. life, not even being aware of what it was I was participating in, that was devastating for me. It really was because I'd spent over 30 years of my life in education in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. Imagine me delivering drugs and doing unnecessary surgery as a as bystander participant, I now have become a consumer of healthcare with some pretty heavy diagnosis since then. And now I'm realizing like, oh my gosh, some of those things I was doing were, were actually doing harm rather than good. That's a really, that's a very sobering um, realization. It is, it is. So I, I imagine that lended to, lent to some of the grief you felt when you left all of that and, and we're trying to figure that out um, on your own. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. How do you feel about, um, how do you navigate that now? Well, the, the really interesting thing about grief is number one, we don't know anything about it. And number two, we've been given all of the wrong tools to process our unresolved emotions. Mm-hmm. And so now with the correct tools, it's relatively easy to hop on to the other side of that emotional pain. 
But, you know, just to give the listeners kind of a common uh, definition, like what is grief? Mm -hmm. Grief is actually five, has five components to it. So the first one is an emotional loss of any kind, which we're all kind of familiar with. Mm -hmm. But it's also a change in anything that was familiar. So think of Mm -hmm. our entrepreneurial journey, right? We've already hit on that loss of what was familiar. It's all of the things that we wished had been better, different, or more. It's our unrealized hopes, dreams, and expectations. And then Mm -hmm. finally, it's all the things that remain unsaid. And so when you think, you know, I'll have people call me and they'll say, you know, somebody told me to call you, but I haven't had anyone die. So I don't think it's grief. But if you look at those other definitions, it pretty well encompasses everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And then we're all taught these five stages of grief. And the five stages of grief were developed by a woman by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And they were designed for someone who had received a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And she herself said, do not use this to support grievers because it's not the right tool. Wow. Every counselor, every psychologist, every therapist, they're all taught the five stages of grief. And so between the mis the misinformation, because that's the term today, but you know, the misinformation about what grief is, and then the misinformation of how to process those unresolved emotions. Well, most of us are walking around with grief. First of all, we don't even know we have, and then we mm-hmm. don't have the tools to process those emotions. Yeah. 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 I something on your website said uh, you know, trying to overcome grief in the wrong ways, like trying to paint a bedroom with a screwdriver. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now I find I've been doing this since 2016, but I find I still do the process on a regular basis because I went from someone who was in constant fight and flight to someone who really has found this inner peace. And I won't sacrifice that at this point for anyone or anything. So you know, I've got the tools and I know what the tools are so I can jump on the other side of whatever's happening. It doesn't mean life still doesn't, you know, create chaos, but it means I know how to redefine it and I know Mm -hmm. how to move beyond it. Yeah. Learning to navigate that chaos has been a a huge common theme, at least in my life for the last three, three years anyway, you know, I, I was so stuck in this. Um, I'm going to arrive at this destination, right? I'm going to, I'm going to arrive somewhere and then things will be easier when this, then that, when this, then that, when this, then that. And after about 40 years of that, I, I finally hooked up with a coach and was like, he was like, Oh no, 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 no. You have a great old big ego. Don't you? And I was like, <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. This is going to be a ride, but finally learning to embrace and navigate the chaos. Now I get it. Now I understand. No, it's always, it's always, always, always going to be chaos. We just returned from a, uh, an event our business puts on in Costa Rica every year. And uh, John Maxwell was our keynote speaker. And he just reiterated. So just drove the point home so hard that nothing worth doing is easy. It's all hard. It's, it's all hard. Having a baby is hard. Not having a baby is hard. Having money is hard. Not having money is hard. Everything is hard. 
once you finally embrace that and then get some tools to navigate that hard, things get a lot, um, a lot easier to deal with. And you know, the longer I do this work, I think one of the driving forces behind unresolved grief is expectations. Yes. the expectation we have of ourselves, the expectation we have of others, the expectation of our career, of our boss, of our coworkers, the list goes on and on and on. And without a way to resolve those unfulfilled expectations, we just keep accumulating disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And um, I do, I so believe that so much of the depression so much of the anxiety that we're experiencing is coming from the fact that you said it we've been taught to look away don't feel those emotions don't look at those things that are upsetting you just keep burying them stay busy and set a new goal and everything will be okay yeah no 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 (laughs) not that way I know, I know, but that's what we've been taught, right? And so that's what we embrace. And I find um, sometimes when I start the process with people, they are so locked up here in their heads because that's what we're taught. We're taught to judge and have an opinion and analyze and get to the root cause. And with this program, it's simply, here's what happened. Here's how it made me feel. Now, how do I resolve that so I can get to the other side? Because your heart speaks a much different language and it it doesn't care about who's right, who's wrong. It doesn't care about a point of view. It just wants to heal. That's Mm -hmm. all it wants to do. Yeah. So what are some of those those very first steps? Because I, I get asked all the time, like, Amy, you have overcome so much in your life. How did you go from here to there? I'm not an expert. I just know what I did. And all I know was it was one tiny foot in front of the other. I mean, it's just, there was no way there's no roadmap. There's no, there's no guidebook. There's no rules. It was just forward motion. That's the only way I can ever. So, so give our listeners something that I can't give them like other than keep moving. That's what I say. Keep moving, whether that's to the mailbox or to Texas or wherever you got to move to keep going. That's my best advice. I'm sure you've got something much better. (laughs) Well, I think the first thing is awareness is the key for any change. Mm. And, you know, we talked about those things that we do to distract ourselves. So how do we distract ourselves from grief? Well, we might eat too much. We might drink more than usual. We might binge watch um, Netflix, play on our phone, get lost in social media. Mm -hmm. So the first step is to become aware why why am I doing this like when I start getting really busy like take a moment and feel those emotions and see if you can see what they're attached to so Mm. I would say to the listeners the first thing is an awareness journaling will not um, complete the emotion but journaling will allow you to become aware of what's living under the surface Mm. so one of the key things to start doing is journaling journaling to become aware of what it is you're staying busy to hide from Mm -hmm. and then the next step would be to really have that friend who is willing to be a heart with ears They're not going to judge you. They're not going to offer an opinion. They're not going to try to fix it. They're just, yeah, exactly. 
They're Listen, just, husbands. Listen, husbands. Yes, yes. So they just provide you this really safe place mm -hmm. in order to be able to express and get that out. But then the last step to this is you, you really need, when you're ready, to reach out to a professional that can actually walk you through these stages. Now, I'm going to be really transparent to your listeners. There's a book, the handbook that I use is called The Grief Recovery Method, and it's written by John James. And chapter seven tells you exactly what are these steps that will get you to the other side. Mm -hmm. Now, why the answers are always the same, I don't know, but they are. Somebody will call me and they'll say, so what's the difference between working with you and doing this on my own? And I'll, I'll ask them, have you bought the book? Mm -hmm. Have you read the book? Yep, three times. Okay. And how many relationships have you worked through? None. And I'll yeah. say, and that's the difference. Yeah. Because with grief, we are so close to it. It's difficult to be the observer. Mm -hmm. And when they work with someone who understands this technique, they can't procrastinate and put that off. They've got to pick up the phone and say, okay, I would like to set up a meeting. Let's meet next Tuesday. And for most people, they're just finishing the process five minutes before our call. But that call keeps them accountable to yeah. moving through the process. So yeah. there is a way for them to access this method on their own simply by buying the book. They can do it on their own. Chapter seven tells them how. Yeah. But if they're unable to, there are grief recovery method specialists all over the world. And we all are able to do this online. So, you know, somebody from Oklahoma, if if I resonate with them, absolutely. If not, there's probably people in Oklahoma that also offer this program. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really hoping this is coming across as here's the tool as opposed to me trying to market this. Because it it really, if people know where to access that help, they can they can do it. Mm-hmm. How would someone know that, you know, that it's grief itself that is, that is the thing that's holding them back. Maybe they just feel stuck and they're not even sure why, um, would your quiz on, on your site, maybe be a good place for them to start to know, to understand. Absolutely. The quiz on my website, I think it takes you through 21 questions mm -hmm. at the grief recovery Institute. We believe that if you answer yes to one of them, there's probably more hidden grief than you're aware of. Mm -hmm. Lots of people take that quiz and they answer yes to 10, 12, 14 questions. Wow. But again, they're not aware because they've got this, this miscued definition, I guess, of what grief is. I would, I would answer that question with two answers. The first answer would be grief shows up usually as anxiety. People can't focus. They have trouble sleeping. There's a loss of energy or too much energy. And they really start to shut down and they, they really start to isolate. Um, so that's the one answer. And I just totally just lost the second one. <laughs> It'll come back to me, I'm sure, but um, yeah. it's it's being able to recognize that they would like their life to be different. They just don't know how to get there. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. I know what the other one was. Um, when I first did the training for this, 
my husband and I would watch TV and I would say, you know, that's, that's unresolved grief. And finally, one day he said to me, you know, not everything is unresolved grief. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm just being a little, you know, too excited about this. So I better back off. But then he went through the program a year and a half later. Mm. And he is now the first person to say that's unresolved grief because yeah. every TV show, every movie, every play, every novel, every short story is driven by unresolved emotions. And yeah. so this people will say to me, well, you know, do you have to have done a lot of inner work to do this grief work? And I'll say, no, you don't. But if you haven't done a lot of inner work, this is the best place to start. Because once you lift the fog that grief covers everything with, it becomes really easy to see what's left. Mm -hmm. For me, I've been on this lifelong journey. I have, I have tried so many modalities. I've worked with so many people. And yes, every single one of them took another layer of the onion away. But for me, after like 40 years of personal development work, this literally was the missing piece. This was the piece I could never find. And it was so easy to get to the other side. Mm. It's That's the thing I want to stress. I want to normalize the conversation about grief. Like it's normal. It's natural. Let's talk about it. Take the stigma away yes. from it. And allow people to, you know, find the courage to be able to, like you say, do something that's really difficult, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it. I love that you mentioned um, story because that that's how we learn. It, it's every human being is constantly wired to try and just survive and thrive all the time. And the only thing that can capture our attention is story. And it's our, it's our stories that are, are navigating, you know, that we're navigating our lives through. So I love that you um, kind of open that story loop by saying we're all these characters and the character is trying to get something right, but there's something standing in their way, which is a problem. Many times that problem is grief and they need a guide to help them through it. This is marketing. This is, this is the book that, uh, that the, the, the book that I, that we run our business from right here, Donald Miller, people can get story brand. They can understand advertising. They can understand their business, but will they implement it? No. Just like you said, they need a guide to help them with their marketing or whatever. This book will tell you exactly how, and it uses the power of story to do it just like yours. It's a, it's a common theme in our lives. The story, the story we have to tell. And, you know, it's interesting, Amy, because I want to just follow that up with the fact that our bodies are designed to finish the story, right? So when we get in that loop, so there's another sign that maybe there's grief or unresolved emotions. When we start looping, it's our body trying to finish the story. Mm -hmm. We were meant to close every chapter and before we move on to the next one but here's the other thing if we don't like the way the story ended we try to rewrite it and we can't mm. because it's already mm. happened and yeah. so these loops are either us trying to rewrite the ending or complete the story 
And that's why resolving these emotions is so important. Because once we finish the story, once we close that chapter, we are back in the present moment. We're not being controlled by our emotions. We're not passing every present experience through the past because yeah. we have completed the past and it loses all power. We don't lose the memory, but we lose the trigger. And the trigger for a lot of us is what stops us from moving forward. Mm-hmm. Either it's fear or it's like, would have, could have, should have, or what happened last time, or, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. When, when I started on my spiritual journey, people would say to me, you know, you'll have the same experience over and over until you get the, you know, the lesson. And I thought, oh, it just didn't resonate with me because I'm over here singing Kumbaya, and yet it's like, dumbass, can't you get it? Right? There's another hammer <laughs> in the head. And then I found this program. And what I realize is those repeated experiences, they're not lessons. They're opportunities to heal. And once you heal. Here's a practice and, round. Here's a practice round. Exactly. Practice more. <laughs> it's exactly. like praying for patience. Here's some more opportunities for you to practice. Exactly. And once, once you complete the story, once you finish the healing, you don't have to practice it anymore. And it just goes. It's magical. And that resonated with me on a spiritual level, so much more than a lesson that I just wasn't able to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that many times, um, you mentioned personal development and obviously practicing these tools and these, um, and these concepts is part of personal development. But do you find that, that many people struggle with taking the personal responsibility and overcoming their own grief, kind of getting out of the victimhood side of their grief? That was huge for me. I lived in victimhood for me too. For a long, 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 long time. <laughs> Until they didn't. And then I was like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like you talk about journaling. I wonder if we journaled our stories and read them out loud or had another person read them to us, would we go, what the hell? Move on. What, what, what the, this isn't, you know, that's a terrible story. Why are you still in that story? Go to this, close that story. (laughs) But it's all our own story in our own head that's looping, like you said. It is. And, you know, Lots of times in our life, yes, we are responsible. Other times we're not. But it doesn't matter what happened, whether it was our fault or not. It's 100% our responsibility to heal. And I'm like you, Amy. I lived in that victimhood. You know, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. Like if I'm the only one, no one's ever bothered this. But it's you don't know you, me. Yes. Oh, I know you. I see you, woman. I was you. Yes. <laughs> but as soon as you own your story, whether it's your fault or not, but as soon as you own it and you take those steps to heal it, you have no desire to be that victim mm-hmm. anymore. No. And it's weird because as I'm working with people, I'll say to them, 
you have to be so careful with your wording because when you say you took my power there is no opportunity to take it back mm -hmm. but when you say i apologize to myself for oh. giving you or allowing you that's right now you can take it back because you right. gave it away in the first place mm-hmm and the healing, the verbiage is so subtle. You did, I allowed. It's mm -hmm. so powerful when you get the right verbiage. Yeah. We're so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. <clears throat> and it's no accident. We all feel that. It's no accident. And I've come to see that as I've done this work. Um, I thought my limiting beliefs were mine and mine alone. And the more I do this work, we all have the same limiting belief that can't be by accident. Mm -mm. It just can't be. And so again, it doesn't matter where it came from. Take the power back, heal it, release it, and stand back in your light. Stand back in that power. Take that leadership role and show others how you got there. Yeah, that's it. Because it takes us who've been through that thing to stand up and say, this is, that was me too. And you yeah. can have this instead. And it's so much easier, like you said, to cross that, that river, that bridge, that gap. It's so much easier than people think. And it's that fear that holds them back from, from chasing freedom. Absolutely. Freedom. Absolutely. Mm. That's awesome. Well, um, tell us, uh, we got a little bit more time left here. Tell me about someone you've worked with and um, kind of where they were before and where they are now. Well, I'm going to kind of use a collective story as opposed to one because it, it's very, very similar. Everybody's story is different. Their experiences are different. Absolutely. Most people come to me and they can't stop crying. Mm. They are so lost in their pain, whether it's it's a fresh loss or whether it's one that happened a long time ago. They are just devastated usually when they call me. And the words that I listen for are, I can't live like this anymore. When mm. I hear those words, I know they're ready. Yeah. And I hold that space for them where they are but I actually am more focused on where they will be after they take this journey. And collectively that first week, there's a lot of tears. The second week, it, there's a lot of tears. And as we move through the program, different points, they'll say to me, when did I stop crying? Like mm -hmm. they don't even realize that they have. And then as they start to really trust and relax into the process, they start to be more honest. And there is more laughter in this program than people can expect. This isn't like gloom, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's some of that, but it is so, it's so engaging and they learn to trust being honest with what has happened or how they're feeling. And then as they move through the end of this program, as long as they have followed the steps I've taught them, they are all on the other side of this. And they all describe it kind of the same way. They feel lighter. Mm -hmm. Many of them have come with a weight on their heart that they just can't lift. And they'll go, 
the weight is gone. For some, mm -hmm. they've had physical pain and the physical pain has lifted because it was tied to these unresolved emotions. Yeah. Um, they feel happier. They feel lighter. But I think the thing that really warms my heart is they'll say, I have a hope for the future that I didn't have before. And yeah. I think the most magical thing I hear is people will say, you know, I came to you because I had grief, but this is one of the most powerful personal development programs I've ever experienced because you can't hide from it. That's the beauty of this. It's all laid out in front of you. And if you're willing to put right and wrong aside, if you're willing to release a point of view and just say, okay, this is my stuff and this is your stuff, right? So I'm mm -hmm. going to use my own self to kind of wrap up this example. When I worked at that job I was talking about, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had pages and pages of documentation should I have chosen to take this further in regards to my boss. Mm -hmm. But what did I own? Well, on the day he hired me, he said, I don't like you. I don't want you here. I'm being forced to hire you. The second welcome. Thing, yeah. Second thing he Jeez. said to me was the person that I really want in this job. I've created a job for them and they start the same time you do. For the wow. first six months, they sabotaged me at every turn. And at year three out of five, I resigned. And they didn't accept my resignation. So as I dumped all of this out on the table, what did that mean? Well, he didn't like me and he didn't respect me. And back then, my self-worth was dependent upon people liking me. Mm -hmm. I needed to fix this. Mm. I missed the cue that he had someone lined up and that these six months of sabotage were for me to fail so that she could step into my job. Mm. What else did I own? At year three, I resigned. I should have stuck to that resignation. Yeah. And by year five, when there was nothing left of me, well, I owned the fact that I stayed. He couldn't hurt me if I hadn't said yes. He couldn't have hurt me if I hadn't dodged all those obstacles. He couldn't have hurt me if I stuck to my resignation. He couldn't have hurt me if I hadn't stayed five years. Mm -hmm. Today, on the other side of this, if I was sitting in that interview today and he said that to me or someone else said that to me, I would say, thank you so much for your honesty. I yeah. so appreciate that. I think I'm going to decline this offer. And I really hope the person that you really want in the position says yes. And I could say that without any triggers without any regrets, without any mm. resentment, because yeah. I'm no longer that person that needs the approval of someone else to see my own worth. That is the power of this program. Damn right. You know, <laughs> all that so stuff. Yeah, all that stuff that happened. Yeah, I can still tell. I could tell you everything that happened. There's no triggers there. And there's no reason to retell the story anymore because mm. all of those emotions have been resolved and completed. Yeah. What I keep hearing is um, self-worth, self-awareness. Yes. 
I, I remember a girl, she was about 10 younger, 10 years younger than me. Um, that, that would, uh, she struggled with a boy, a man that she was, that she wanted so badly to marry. And I remember her coming to me time and time again, saying, what can I do to get John to love me more? What can I do to get him to accept me? What can I do to get to him to propose? We've been together all this time. What can I do? And I just, I, I kept thinking from the outside, looking in, like, why are you with someone who you're having to convince to love you? You are wanting to hit yourself to that person to the rest of your life, have a little bit of self-worth with, and now reflecting, looking back 20 years later, I think, my gosh, she was so young. She had no idea. She had no self-worth, you know, and, and and that really is what it all comes back down to. Like being able to, like you said, get up and say, thank you for your time. This is not going to be a good fit. You need to be begging me to come work for you because I'm amazing. That's how we should all feel, but it's so hard to get to that point. And you know, it's, it's funny. I spent, I spent my whole life in that people pleasing mode. Mm -hmm. You know, what can I do? What can I do? And what I've (laughs) learned is that's a trauma response. It's unhealed Mm -hmm. trauma because we're still trying to fix that. I think that's my underlying message to entrepreneurs, especially if they're in the healing sector, any kind of healing sector Mm -hmm. is please, please, please do your own work before Mm -hmm. you hang that shingle out and want to support other people. It -hmm. doesn't mean your journey's finished. It doesn't mean that you don't have other stuff to learn, but it is so hard to be 100% present for that person who really needs you to be 100% present when -hmm. you're still trying to heal your own pain by helping Mm -hmm. someone else. Yeah, that's called codependency. It is. It's so, so unhelpful. Absolutely. Recovered, recovered, thank God, from that. But yes, it's, it's a hard thing to escape. It really is. It, it really is. is. So you think we talked about victimhood, we talked about people pleasing, and we talked about um, uh, what was the other one? People pleasing. Oh, uh, being the victim. Mm-hmm. Did I just say that? I can't remember. Anyway, there's three things we've talked about here that just keep circling and circling and circling and circling. And yet, if you can find the courage, whatever mm-hmm. that is, to peel back those layers of that onion and heal those traumas or heal those experiences. Oh my goodness, the world needs those people to step into that role and say, you know, I'm not going to jump in the mud with you because that's not going to help either of you, either of us, but I'm going to stand here on the shore and I'm going to hold my hand out to you and say, I know the way, and I would be happy to show you how to Oh, girl, you just brought up like a whole range of oh, I got a theme song that has almost that exact, uh, that exact line in it. Um, that's so good. And I love that you said the word courage because I get told all the time, Amy, you're so fearless. You're so fearless. The hell I am. I am terrified 99% of the time, but what I am is willing. And I know that if I do it scared, that it gives someone else permission to take that next step toward their healing, whatever that means. And so thank you for shining a light on this uh, fact that we all need to overcome our grief, recognize that we have it, 
overcome it so that we can stand on that shore and lend out our hand to bring someone else to a much better life. Absolutely. So that's leadership. That is queen leadership. So ah. thank you. Tell, tell our listeners where they can find you, Queen Tammy, and how they can connect <laughs> with you and take your quiz and, and dig deep into the world of healing if that's what they need. Thank you. Well, they can go to my website, first of all, it's tadams.ca. And the reason I send people there, it's not a marketing website. There's all kinds of free resources there they can access. I think there's six eBooks, there's videos that they can watch. There is the quiz that you make reference. Um, if you complete it on my website, it comes directly to me. If you don't want to do that, just do it on a piece of paper and keep it for yourself. But usually if you answer one, there's a lot of hidden grief there that, that you may not find. Um, mm -hmm. I think you've got the links for my Instagram page and my Facebook page. Again, you know, my posts on social media really fall into one of three categories. I try to educate, I try to motivate, and I try to inspire. Um, that is my goal 100%. And what I'm really trying to do is just normalize conversation around this. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it shouldn't be a conversation we talk about in a dark room. It shouldn't be a conversation we shy away from. It's as normal as breathing. And mm -hmm. the more normal it becomes, the easier it becomes for us to heal. And then we don't have to keep looping. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for being my guest. And thank you for being a queen that leads. Oh, thank you, Amy. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you.